0: You're listening to the Ralphie Report Radio podcast as part of the SB Nation Network. This time, it's not just Jack Stern. I'm joined by fellow contributor Sam Metavator. Sam, oh my god! <laughs> how how, ex- how excited are you to be on?
1: Metavator is one of the worst pronunciations I've ever heard.
0: Of. All right, can you can you pronounce it the right way for the listeners? Then
1: um, it's Metivier.
0: Metivier, oh, like a little French, a little French groove it in is there.
1: French, but if if you don't want to be that French, you can say. I'm a
0: TVA. Okay, I, I like it. But CU Basketball had an outstanding game last night. Tyler Bay put on an absolute show. Fans were given a poster of him going into the arena, which heading in I was a little bit skeptical about given how much he struggled the past few games. But he answered the call, especially after Tad Boyle called him out. 27 points, 9-9 nine nine from the field. He, he was outstanding last night.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. He looked focused. He looked determined, and really, he set his mind to just destroying, uh, destroying the ducks inside.
0: Yeah, he was. He was a lot more aggressive, really, than I think I've seen him all season, and that's really what CU needs. They were able to give McKinley Wright an extended time off last night. Uh, he had to go back to the locker room to get his shoulder retaped, but I have to imagine they're just gonna need that type of consistency in his performance going forward if they want to climb back into relevancy in the Pac-12. That's what
1: that's what Bay looked like last year, albeit in fewer minutes or with a few with a lesser role, sorry. But uh he really can be the snarling, menacing defender and almost an automatic or f- automatic finisher inside if he wants to
0: be. Oh, absolutely, and he's just a physical force on the boards as well. Uh Oregon, though, I, I I I'm skeptical about the future of the basketball program. I mean, coming into the season, I had circled this game on my calendar just because I was excited to see ball ball. There was a lot of is it pronounced bowl bowl? I, I mean, it's I
1: bowl bowl. I think bowl
0: bowl. Okay, I'm I'm not. Today's not my day for pronunciation, but nonetheless, I was really excited to see him. The best glimpse I got of him when he was was when he was wheeling his way to the Oregon sideline on a scooter. He had AirPods in, too. He had, he had AirPods on, in. He was on his phone. At one point, it looked like he had a bag of Skittles that he was pouring into his mouth at half court. Yeah. Very very lackadaisical and interesting. At this point, I'm kind of curious as to why he's still, even with the program, he's obviously not fully invested in his classes, I have to imagine. Uh, he announced that he's leaving at the end of the season, which... You know, is wasn't a surprise, but, like, he's hurt. Well, well, why is he still going through the motions, traveling with the team? I, I'd have to imagine he would be, be better served training for the NBA back in Kansas or, you know, exercising with personal trainers as he has accessible to him. Like, well, why is he still doing this?
1: I mean, depending on the foot injury, I can't really – I don't know what exactly is going on, but I would guess that um, other than just letting it heal, he can't do much. If he's going through his – physical training, then I don't see why he can't uh, travel with the team. It seems like it's a fun opportunity to travel to all these amazing cities in the Pac-12. It's not like you're going to Stillwater, Oklahoma.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's a great point. Like, you get to go to Palo Alto. You get to go to Berkeley. I saw when the remember, Buffs sh- – Sorry,
1: one thing. It was when uh, Davis Webb, it seemed like he had committed to CU and uh, it seemed like he was taking a free vacation to Berkeley and then ends up switching over to
0: Cal. Ooh, that's 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 a rough one. Any any of our listeners who hear that are probably going to be mincing and getting a cold chill down their spine just learning about that. But to m- what I was just saying is when CU was out in the Bay Area, I saw they got to visit Alcatraz. They 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 did some activities. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point with Ball Ball. I have to imagine he's do, you know exercising the other parts of his body, trying to get strong while he, you know, nurses this foot injury.
1: Yeah, he has to get bigger for sure.
0: Yeah, he's going he's gonna, to, like we were talking about a little bit ago before we came on there. he's just going to get bullied in the NBA if he doesn't bulk up. And there's also an injury concern that comes with him as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, as much as you stretch the floor, it's difficult to be successful in the NBA if you can't, you know, rebound. Or if people can just body you up and finish at the rim.
0: Mm-hmm. One thing I was very surprised to see, at the CU basketball game last night, I don't typically pay attention to the in game entertainment. Usually, when I take a quick glance down from whatever notes are doing, it just drives me nuts because there's a lot of loud noises. There's people screaming right behind me where we're sitting on press row. It's just, to me, it just seems very inconvenient and annoying. But I looked up at halftime, and for the first time in four years, or actually three years, the student section was doing the roller coaster cheer. I couldn't. I could. When? When's the last time that you saw that?
1: I don't really watch the screens. Mm-hmm. I'm usually just on Twitter looking at who to banter with, <laughs> but I'm not really surprised by whatever they have up there because it's usually, you know, it can Im- be improved.
0: Yeah, but with the with the roller coaster cheer, I couldn't remember the last time I, they did it. A and B. I thought it was rather strange they were doing it with like a student section that was three quarters full. Uh, every other time I've seen them do it, it was, like, packed.
1: Well, that's as packed as it's been this year.
0: Yeah, that's true. I, I think that was a very good turnout. Why Why were there so many people there? Cause of cause It's Oregon. They, oh, they just wanted to see, see you beat Oregon?
1: Yeah, pretty much, I think. We've never lost to Oregon at home. Um, that's one of the <laughs> hallmarks of this Colorado program is, like, Oregon comes to town, it's a fun game, it's intense, the fans show up, and we beat them up. Even when they went to the Final Four, we beat yeah, them up. Yeah, I know.
0: It's, a, it's, a, it's amazing, right? They're 0-7 in their last seven trips to Boulder. What, what do you think it is about playing at the CU Event Center? Because none of the other opponents really seem to struggle that much. It's
1: I think re- that CU generally, when they have a good opponent at home, they show up focused. That's been the issue for CU, really, is they don't, they don't bring the intensity and focus that they need to every game. And so when they do have a big name coming, they show up and the crowd shows up. And as we saw earlier in the Tad Boyle era, when the crowd is into it and the team is there, it's really, really hard to beat CU at home.
0: Yeah, I, I think so. They truly do have that home court advantage, but they need fans to show out. Anyway, CU going forward. How can how can they climb back in this race, Sam? I mean, for one, they're going to need Tyler Bay to play like that. McKinley Wright has, uh, you know, he, he's, done, he's done well, but, you know, they're going to need to find ways to keep him healthy and fresh as well as he nurses this, you know, pretty bad, what it seems to be, shoulder injury that he's playing through right now. They have some tough games coming up against UCLA and USC on the road. USC coming off a pretty... Bad loss to Washington last night.
1: Everybody's losing to Washington. Everyone's
0: losing to Washington. Speaking of which, before we get into that, I have to give some credit to Washington. They were a bottom feeder program in the Pac-12 for years. They hire Mike Hopkins, a former Jim Boheim assistant who a lot of people thought was going to... They were t-
1: making the tournament almost every year with Lorenzo Romar until he kind of collapsed.
0: That's true, but before Hopkins got hired, they were. it seemed like they were at the bottom of the conference.
1: They had like two seasons where they were bad, but they were still bringing in... Uh, five-star recruits pretty regularly. They've been producing NBA players, first-round picks, almost every single year since Lorenzo Romar has been there. Um, their lack of success is more so that Lorenzo Romar was a better recruiter than he was a coach. Mm. But Hi- Hopkins, he has the recruiting bed of Seattle, which is one of the richest in basketball. Really? Yeah. they huh? There's so much NBA talent coming out of Seattle. Mm. And uh, he can recruit that easy. Cause it's easy to recruit in Seattle if you're you know, in Seattle. And he's a great coach.
0: Yeah, he he learned from one of the best in the business. A lot of people thought he was the heir apparent to Jim Boheim. He was going to take over that position. Didn't end up happening. He saw a really good opportunity. I'm surprised to hear that, though, because getting people to go to Seattle, when I think of Seattle, I think of a lot of rain, not a lot of sunshine. It's it seems like it. Have went you been to the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, I've be, I've been out there a couple of times, and every time it's been pretty cold and rainy, and every I mean,
1: th- it's endearing. Yeah, it's lovely out there. I love it.
0: Yeah, it kind of it kind of has a vibe. You know what I mean? It, it feels like it has it has it, it has a culture of its own.
1: Yeah, I've never been to that campus, but it, it seems like a grit school. It seems like a great campus and a good culture. Everything.
0: Yeah, that I would, would play make sense. There if I wanted to, yeah. I mean, if I was good, I would play there. <laughs> yeah, but. I mean Hopkins has really gonna done a good job bringing that program back to elite status. I think they're here to stay.
1: Well, they they did lose four really close games to like their only good quality so far. I thought that they were going to be the best team in the Pac twelve pretty easily this year, because Oregon was never going to be that good to be honest. And even with ball ball, yeah, I didn't think that they would be too good. Lou King isn't good right now. He oh, was a t- yeah. 20th rated recruit or something. Mm-hmm. He's just not good yet.
0: What 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 was it about Oregon last night when we talked to Tad Boyle in his post-game press conference? He told us that he thought they had expended some energy against Utah. They were mm-hmm. coming off a really big win. Utah like I said on my on a previous episode like it's guaranteed their football program is going to struggle in November. Their basketball program typically chokes in February. I thought they were I thought earlier I thought they were going to be one of the better teams, but they've struggled. I mean, they, they've been good in years past, but at the same time, I mean, do, what did you think it was about Oregon last night? I want to give some credit to CU's defense, but they, I mean, they could not get anything to fall. They yeah. The shots just were not dropping for them.
1: I don't think they're a very good shooting team, first off. I also think that they were very much fatigued. Yeah. That road trip from Utah to Colorado was difficult. I don't think besides Washington this year and now randomly almost Oregon State sweeping that game, it's rare for any team to come in on the road and win both those games. And the team, whoever, they see you and Utah usually win that second game no matter who they're playing because the elevation and the travel, you, it's the only road trip in the Pac-12 where you, it's required that you take a flight between the two. Um, really, huh. And so it looked like they had dead legs. It looked like they were kind of out of it. And see so you also just had some good defense. Mm-hmm. It was the first time where we really shot, saw them with sharp rotations, closing out on shooters, and boxing out everything you would want.
0: yeah, they did oh, they
1: blocking d- shots and getting steals too. They were causing havoc. We haven't seen yet this yeah
0: week. they they caused a, and the and their po- points off turnovers once again that didn't go in their way against Oregon State. That's how they were able to really pull away in this one. They were The Buffs, they were getting out on transition. They were running real quick. They were running that up-tempo offense, getting really good shots early in the shot clock. So I think that's going to be kind of the formula for success going forward. But they have some really tough matchups. Obviously, USC, UCLA, those are road games. I don't think either of those teams are great.
1: Yeah, I don't think they're good.
0: But going on the road and having to play them is always funky.
1: He also does pretty well. In L.A.
0: That's true, but they did have a tough loss against USC in L.A. last year.
1: USC was a lot better last year. Mm-hmm. They have a lot of returning players from that team, and they have their usual five-star, four-star recruits, but I don't really think that they're really a good team either. They don't have Jordan McLaughlin anymore. Yeah. And you that was the real guy who would kill, kill
0: The thing, them. The thing about UCLA that scares me is, like CU, and like a lot of other teams in college basketball, they're so Jekyll and Hyde. Like, I thought... A few weeks ago, I thought Arizona was the runner-up to Was, was going to be the runner-up to Washington in I Pac-12. Still think they will be. I still think they will be too. But Unless it's the Beavers. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But you know, UCLA. I, I didn't think they were any threat to Arizona. The Cats come in there and they get blown out. I mean, it's just so funky that any anything can happen. Pauley Pavilion is typically like a very live arena it's actually on my bucket list to eventually go see a game there because i've heard from so many people that it's a really fun environment i definitely
1: friend uh ted chalfin i don't know if you know him yeah of course Um, yeah (laughs) he worked there for a little while he would always talk about how wonderful it was
0: yeah i would i would love to go to a game there but the point i'm making is that it's just such a weird place to play that like anything goes you know so I i think
1: like ski booker I don't know if I'm remembering this correctly, but if, I feel like he scored like 40 points one game there. It mm-hmm. was just a random ass game where I don't know if they won or not, but it feels like he carried them to just some random win.
0: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think in theory CU could go in and sweep this road trip.
1: I think so too. I
0: think it's just uh, it's just so hard to depend on this team. You know what I mean? That uh, what we saw last night was an outstanding performance. Everyone was kind of clicking in. You know, sank. They played good defense, outstanding effort and energy all the way through for forty minutes. But can Tad Boyle keep his guys, you know, ready to play and focus like that?
1: I don't know if anybody knows. To be honest, I don't think Tad knows. <laughs> um, this team, it's—he said it was one of like the toughest coaching job he's ever had.
0: Yeah, and and and, and I and as I've mentioned before, I th- I really respect him for the job he's done. Not just you know, with the guys, but also how he's come and faced the media and he's been very honest and he's always been like that. Yeah, I but <laughs> but he's but he's he's really opened up and, you know, taken accountability for a lot of the team's shortcomings and, you know, he's he's been he's been really good all along and I, I mean it has to be rough losing that many players. Walton, Naaman Wright, they're they're you know Del De- Brown. Del Brown, depth pieces, you know Man. it just Having, having McKinley out for a game and you know, having him on kind of a pitch count, so to speak, not as much so uh, during closer games, but you know, sometimes having to take him out and give him extended times off. But you know, it's just been a really challenging season for him, so I have to give him some credit for opening up. What does he need to do to keep this team ready to play?
1: Again, I think it goes back to focus and intensity. If they can come out like they did last night, And hopefully they shoot better. I don't think they've made multiple threes in a game in a little while. But um, assuming that the shots start falling and they start, they realize how good they can be when they're focused, I think that they can legitimately, like, realistically win their next five games and get right back into the Pac-12 schedule. It's a road trip to L.A. They struggle somewhat with USC. That's fair. Um, But then they host the Arizona schools who aren't really good this year. And even when they were great last year, CU still swept that game. Like those those games, and then they play at Washington State, which is eh, weird. Things have happened in Pullman before, but that's that's a really bad team that they have.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. I I the, the, where I sit is I think they can sweep the road trip in LA. Realistically, I'd be happy with taking one of two. Just yeah, because a split is fine. A split is fine, just because I mean playing on the road's tough. There's weird things going on. When you come back, though, Arizona State blew them out the last time they played. Uh, obviously, it was in Tempe. Sun Devils put up 84 points. CUS to obviously play better on defense. I think they need to – that's, that's going to make or break their season. I think they need to try to get a sweep at home against the Arizona schools. Arizona is reeling right now. Arizona State's good, but I think they're very beatable. Especially when they come yep. on the road, and then r- after that, you you go to Washington State, who is the worst team in the conference. So
1: I would argue Cal is the worst team in major college basketball.
0: Yeah, I mean, I that that's fair. I I I forgot about them, but yeah, it's wa- Okay, it's easy. <laughs> yeah, wa- Washington State is the second worst team in the Pac twelve. I Easily, think it's I yeah. think it's fair to say that what what I'm tra- the point I'm trying to make is that Cal and Washington State are both a level below everyone else mm-hmm. right now. Yeah. So I I think that. You got. You have to beat Washington State. If you if you get a split in L.A., you sweep Arizona. You beat Washington State. You're right back in it.
1: Yeah, especially if you look at the rest of the schedule after that, it's really um, a road game against Washington, and that's pretty much it. I mean, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I <laughs> kind of predicted that CU would win 12 conference games, and I regret that because I thought that they would beat. Utah on the road. I thought that they would beat Oregon State at home. But, I mean, it's a it's a pretty easy schedule down the road. It, that's what happens when you have the brutal starts to the Pac-12 schedule that CU has had the past two years, that they start two and five, all the fans freak out, and then they roll off a win streak towards the end.
0: Well, I think fans freak out more or less no matter what, and they get a little bit ahead of themselves before taking a step back and realistically looking at I don't at the think si- our
1: fans ever take a step back to look at things.
0: Well, you know, I'm <laughs> I'm 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 speaking truthfully here and you know, it's easy to freak out when they're losing games and they're looking not, you know, not focused out there, but in the realm of things, most most teams have a stretch like that during the season. You know what I mean? Or a lot of teams yeah. do. The, even even the best ones. I I think Washington's a cut above everyone right now, but I don't expect them to go undefeated in the Impact 12 play. I think they will lose a game or two.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so, too. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's it's, it's college basketball. You really never know what could come out and happen. But, yeah. That
1: said, though, who would they lose to? Everybody else is, like, besides Oregon State, everybody else is ass this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but...
1: I still think they'll drop one, but...
0: College basketball is a weird thing. Like, you have 18 to 20, for the most part, year-old kids, some 21-year-olds. But, anyway, you have, you know, young kids coming out... In playing a game, I mean, they could underestimate the opponent. You know, it's that's an experienced team. Yeah, that's true. They
1: have, I think, four seniors or something. They do, and
0: that's that's one of the reasons I think they're good. Is they're not just more experienced, but when you get guys this age, I think having seniors, they're a little more like biologically developed as well.
1: Biologically, yeah. So they're so
0: they're you know you know stronger, and that's something I've noticed in the NBA with rookies. But anyway, I think. I mean, college well, basketball.
1: The Brandon Ingram's of the world. Yeah,
0: who are just not, you know, fully developed yet. But yeah, I think, I think Washington will lose a game. But I mean, anything, anything can happen. It's it's college basketball. They're bound to lose eventually. Looking coming back to CU's schedule though, after Washington, the, the there's light at the end of the tunnel. They have three games mm-hmm. against Utah and the two LA schools, UCLA and USC. So I mean. Yeah, I I, I think they can easily sweep out the final homestand if everything goes well.
1: Yeah, I'm worried mostly about uh, the depth. We have nine scholarship players left on the team, and McKinley Wright's dealing with injuries. Alex Strotting, he he was great against Oregon State, but he's not really someone you can rely on every game. So they're really down to a rotation of seven and a half, unless... (laughs) Kim yeah. gets better, and Eli Parquet isn't quite ready to contribute yet. Dalen Koontz, thank God, he's figuring it out. He looks like he's going to be really good.
0: I, I love the role Dalen Koontz is playing on this team right now. He's typically replacing McKinley in the rotation from what I've seen, and he's not doing anything special, but he's doing what he needs to do. You know, He's going out. He's mm-hmm. scoring a couple points. He's getting to the basket. He's a really adept finisher. Yeah. He's crafty. He hasn't been able to knock down shots very well from the free throw line, but at least he's getting there. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's I really, really like the role that Dalen Koontz is playing right now. Interesting how Tad Boyle's experimented with a lot of different rotations. I mean he's he's mixed and matched. I think we saw a rotation. We see like a new rotation out there, every a new mm-hmm. group out there together uh every night. That
1: was a weird wackadoo lineup they had against Oregon was it wait no it was Oregon State they Sorry. had Stratling like they had Stratting they had Seward, and they had batty on the same on the floor at the same time that's wild and then
0: I th- yeah who 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 was on there with him I think it was uh, Koontz
1: and Gatling, Koontz I and Gatling
0: yeah that's that's that is a weird lineup there's like <laughs>
1: and they were good That's yeah. the weirdest thing
0: there's two like borderline four fives with Seward and mm-hmm. uh stratling and then I Gat- I see Gatling is more of a two guard but he seemed to be yeah, he's running a two. he's a- he seemed to be kind of running the point for a little bit with Yeah, we thought
1: him. that he was just going to be a spot up shooter but he's shown a lot of playmaking yeah. ability and I was noticing against Oregon he can get to the rim like he doesn't necessarily shoot at the rim but he can get there just to pass out to the perimeter for open shots and once those open shots start falling he's going to have quite a few assists.
0: Gatling's really come t- into his own after struggling a little bit I'm happy early with him. What? I'm happy with him yeah i'm 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 loving- I'm loving what Gatling did. I think for this team to be successful going forward, both Gatling and Kuntz will need to continue to play this type of mm-hmm, big role
1: absolutely and parquet if we can see him develop anymore. Yeah. i saw uh I noticed yesterday he had a few turnovers if I remember, but uh he was handling the ball more than he has in the past, and he was actually shooting <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. for a defensive specialist as a freshman that's it's good to see someone actually like taking care of the ball and being aggressive.
0: I also really want to see some more out of Deshaun Schwartz.
1: Yeah, he f- he's flashed his potential a few times this year. I thought that he turned the corner after, who was it? He scored like 26 or something in a game.
0: Um, I think it was against Washington, but I don't remember. Washington State? Maybe it was Washington State. No, it,
1: yeah, I think it was that series. I don't remember which game he scored. He led the team in scoring, but yeah, he was great those two games. And he has that latent scoring ability. Yeah. He can do that. It's and he, just he needs to be aggressive.
0: I really like his shot, too. He has, like, such a nice southpaw stroke. He's, it's, unfortunately, they're just not falling for him and whether he needs to spend a little extra time in the oh, gym. Oh, I want
1: to note one more thing about Schwartz. He was actually great last night against Oregon. Um, he only shot two of seven, but he was everywhere he needed to be. He was moving off the ball brilliantly. He was getting open shots just because he knows where to be. He knows how to move off the ball. And how to space the floor. And then on defense he was just always in the perfect position. I think he was guarding Lou King for a lot of the game. And was I mean not that Lou King's any good, but <laughs> <laughs> and he's throwing playing. a
0: lot of shade at Lou King the past few days, Sam. I throw
1: a lot of shade at all Oregon players.
0: That's that's fair. But uh,
1: besides Chris Boucher, I love Chris Boucher.
0: Yeah, I, I do I do as well. He's he was a beast. I remember watching him my sophomore year. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I understand what you're saying with Schwartz. I think the problem is I just think of Schwartz as a shooter. You know what I mean? Like he's
1: not though. He's a slasher. He
0: he is a slasher, but I I don't know. I just feel like he could bring some more point scoring to this team, especially because yep. they've kind of they've kind of lacked in that department. I mean, beside Ken, they haven't really gotten a lot of consistently. Le-
1: you know what's just funny is that um, that freshman class they had last year with Batty, um, Ken, and then Bay Schwartz was the highest rated recruit out of that group. He was a top one hundred recruit coming out of Colorado Springs. And I mean, he's been a little bit slower to develop and doesn't have the defensive ability as the others. Though that's not really fair to say because the others are quite good at that. Mm -hmm. But it's just been interesting to see. Though I think he will be pretty good.
0: And arguably the most, the best, and most consistent guy out of that group, McKinley Wright was a late commit. So go figure, right?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. He um, after was Archie Miller. uh, He went from Indiana or from Dayton to Indiana. Uh, Ken was. He was free to go wherever he wanted. And I think uh, Archie Miller ran out of scholarships at Indiana. And then he was coaching with Tad that summer, I think. I don't recall exactly. But he told Tad how special of a player he was going to get. And we saw that immediately.
0: Yeah, he's he's been a pretty consistent contributor throughout his CU career. I mean, he started from day one, yeah. pretty much.
1: He's been struggling a bit with turnovers lately. He's been making a lot of lazy passes. He's telegraphing a lot. And his shot hasn't quite developed as as we've wanted it to, but he's he's the heart and soul of this team.
0: Yeah, he he really is, and I I would have to agree with you on that point. But later on in the show, we're going to talk about Sam's journey to Morocco and what watching CU football and following the football team from pretty much the other side of the world entailed. But mm-hmm. before that, <laughs> one team that has. We we got to watch up close in person before Oregon was Oregon State. Mm -hmm. After their win last night against Utah in Salt Lake City, I think that they could potentially be one of the dark horses to win the Pac twelve.
1: I don't think they'll win it. Maybe they could get things could get weird in Vegas and they might win the tournament. But I don't see Washington losing the Pac twelve.
0: Me neither, but I, I I think they've kind of emerged as the second second. I mean, I obviously yeah. Arizona is good as well, but I mean. Like you were talking about, going on this road trip where you play Utah and Colorado in mm-hmm. the same stretch is hard. They swept it. They swept it. I mean, that's 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 pretty rare to see. I
1: mean, Washington did it earlier this year. It's, probably, it's also a down year for CU and especially Utah. This is the youngest Utah team I think we've seen since DeLon Wright was a freshman. Mm-hmm. I think CU beat them by like 40 at Utah that year, that first year in the Pac-12. But yeah, this Utah team isn't very good, and it's... Honestly, sad that CU got blown up by them.
0: Yeah, I mean, things th- things happen though, and you know McKinley right without. The, that yeah, guy. I think I think they'll rebound when when Utah comes here. Anyway, mm-hmm. this is something everyone who's listening to the podcast or has been waiting for. Tell us <laughs> uh, tell us about what well, watching CU football. I mean, I just want to hear your stories about watching CU football. Was it, some of the games happened at like the wee hours of the morning. Did yeah. you have to wake up, like, did you go to sleep at eight and wake up in the middle of the night? How did it, how did you get the games physically on TV? I mean, I know that, you know, how how did you get the cable network set up? I mean, what, what, what did, I what was that to like? I
1: incriminate myself.
0: What, what was, what was, what was it like though? You know, having to go through that experience, falling you know, you grew up, at, you're a guy who grew up in Boulder, mm-hmm. Sam, so you, you've watched this team your entire life.
1: For better or worse. Yeah, for better is. or worse,
0: you've, you've had the games accessible to you, obviously, at the stadium, the road games you've watched on TV. But what was it like for the first time ever being on the road, you know, not just the road, but in another country watching them play?
1: Oh, yeah, so the first game against Colorado State, uh, I was actually in uh, Milan, Italy. Um, I had just my sister and my brother joined me, and we went up to Lake Como in the Alps, and it was incredible. But um, we were flying from uh, Milan to Tangier in Morocco, and uh, we were always going to pull an all-nighter in the the airport. (sighs) And I wrote uh, a long feature about, for Ralph's Report, I wrote a long feature about covering or watching that game in the Bergamo Airport, and it is the worst place you could possibly imagine. That is a hell like that's a portal to hell it's the worst wow. place i've ever been in my life it smells like piss everybody's <laughs> dying everybody wants to die the coffee tastes literally like vomit there and they don't even have working wi-fi <laughs> and Whoa. um so i think that csu game started three thirty a.m um that time like central european time and uh i was in line waiting to get my ticket While watching the game. Oh, no, I tried to watch the game, but I didn't have the Wi-Fi ability to do it. So I was literally just like on the ESPN app, just like checking the scores. And I was on Twitter checking all the conversation. And then on the occasional highlight, I got to watch it. And so I didn't get to see any of that game, but I was still just living it up. I mean, in the Ryanair line. It, it was a great. <laughs> it
0: was. It was. It was a blowout, and CU just went off. But I mean,
1: Lavisca Chanot had some two hundred something. Two hundred
0: eleven yards. yards receiving. Yeah, I mean, it, it. wasn't. That wasn't like. It wasn't like a big game to miss. It wasn't like missing Nebraska. Oh,
1: that that was a big game to miss for me. I love watching CU beat the hell out of Colorado yeah. State. The first game I ever covered uh, was the two thousand sixteen game at Mile High where CU just beat the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. That was fun.
0: I it remember. was like 45 to 10, I think. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was, it was a complete blowout. That was the year CU went on to have a really successful season. But <laughs> what about the – first of all, tell us about the airport. Like what, what, were the, what were the circumstances like when you were refreshing the ESPN app?
1: Uh, well, I was in a crowded, crowded line just waiting for my boarding pass. And uh, I was just refreshing, refreshing, and trying to find any video evidence I could find. I saw Trayvon McMillan's 49-yard run to start the second half. I was really happy with that. I saw Juwan Winfrey's contested catch. I thought Juwan was going to be a star this year, but injuries kind of derailed that, and I feel bad for him. But uh, I think he'll... Be good in the NFL.
0: Yeah, I talked about that on a previous episode. He's mm-hmm. a guy. He, I remi- love he reminds me of kind of Doug Baldwin when he was coming out of Stanford a Doug little bit. Doug
1: Baldwin's like five foot ten, though.
0: Yeah, but I mean, he. he um, I'm talking circumstantially. I'm not talking oh. about physically. Okay. Like <laughs> the circumstances are. <laughs> like yeah, giving a player comparison. No, 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 no.
1: Just one caveat. <laughs> one sidebar is I remember uh, our guy Jeff Hauser. He wrote uh, a player comparison or a player profile for Nelson Spruce coming out of college. And his player comp was Wes Welker, hmm. and I read that and I just started laughing so hard just because, it's like, there's literally nothing similar about Spruce and Welker, and so I had to go change the player comp to James Jones just because I was embarrassed.
0: <laughs> yeah, that 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 would make that would make sense. Uh, just cause they're white. <laughs> yeah, good God. But anyway, um, yeah, Win- Winfrey's a guy I think is hasn't hit his peak yet is you know, gonna his is looks apart for an NFL receiver. Yeah. had flashes. I mean, when guys you know, he was kind of blocked by the time he came back. You know what I mean? He he got hurt against Nebraska and Should by the time ta- blocked by the time he came back a few games later, Laviska had emerged into this star. KD yeah. was had a big role in the offense. It's just Who
1: was it's, the slot receiver then?
0: Uh Tony Brown played in the slot oh, a yeah, bunch. Yeah, and right. then it, what what I'm saying is you know once a team gets in a rhythm it's just kind of hard to find ways to get other guys the ball and mm-hmm. you know he kind of well, got
1: that, that offense wasn't really in a rhythm but
0: you, you know what I'm trying you know what I'm trying to <laughs> yeah. mean they they developed a consistent game plan with getting the ball to Visca and KD and well not you know yeah, what I'm trying to was, s- yeah i know you know what, what saying, i'm trying to but say it's they, hard to they 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 had you know they those were the guys that Chiverini made sure to get touches can to can we talk
1: about that late hit by the way on Juwan? In that Nebraska game,
0: that was hard. That yeah, that was that was that was really bad. Well, that we'll, ruined his season. Yeah, we'll save that for a later episode. To me, it looked. I mean,
1: I watched that game in Morocco. You could talk about. Yeah, that now.
0: let's. Yeah, let's. Tell us about <laughs> your circumstances watching the first CU Nebraska game in about a decade, or yeah, it, yeah, and then and then then give us your thoughts on the Winfrey hit.
1: Um. Yeah. So that Nebraska game, um, that same feature I wrote about the Nebraska game, and. The only way to watch uh, American football games in Morocco or to watch any basketball games or whatever is to you know use Reddit's streams, and I don't really want to criminalize myself for this, but I did what I had to do. But I couldn't find a good stream for the Nebraska-Colorado game. My computer wasn't loading or whatever. I didn't have the Wi-Fi for it or whatever the case. So I, by John's advice, um, I called him, and then he set his phone up, to, I was basically FaceTiming John, and he had the phone facing the TV. So I just saw his living room. I heard him cheering, <laughs> and I saw the game on some grainy, pixelated, just like <laughs> two layers away from the game. And then after halftime, I called my mom, and I hadn't called my mom yet since I had left. And
0: Wow, she must have been worried.
1: No, 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 she's fine. Um, is She... In, yeah, she didn't even ask me how my things were going. She just went 10 minutes about her drama at work, which is <laughs> quite funny, and which is kind of why I hadn't called her at that point. But um, she was just... Uh, she had her phone pointed at the game, and she was just screaming the whole time, and I couldn't quite see what was going on ever at every point because it was so grainy. But I, c- I could tell CU was... They were doing what they had to do, and they were getting lucky in the right moments, and... They were making the big plays at the right moments, and I, that Montez to Visca play, that was incredible. That was one of the best. That was one of the most emotional plays I've seen in a long time. The only thing I can really imagine topping that was Akella Witherspoon's interception against Oregon. Yeah,
0: that was that was amazing. Will that go down? Is what was the, what was the name of the play call again?
1: Vegas glance.
0: Vegas glance, something like that. Anyway, will that go down? Is, I mean, I know the season didn't exactly end the way we a made lot a shirt
1: of shirt out of that.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> do you think that goes down as, like, one of the most memorable plays in CU football history? Um, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot the of them. i not
1: historian at Ralph Report. That would be Ted, even though he's not really at Ralph Report anymore. But off the top of my head, I can only think of a few things. But I have also was only a fan during the, the Hawkins and Embry years. So yeah. I don't remember the other years. But, I mean, Chris Brown probably had a few of those plays against Nebraska that are memorable.
0: Yeah, I, I think... When you when you look at, like, LaVisca's career, I think he'll. it's pretty certain that he'll probably be a first-round pick coming yeah. up next year, if not a top-ten selection, depending on how he does, obviously. We need but to
1: see his injuries and route running improve.
0: Yeah, yeah. He does, he does need to stay healthy. I do have legit concerns about that in the long term, given how physical. think he needs to
1: stop force-feeding him the
0: ball. Yeah, I mean, given not just how they force-feed the, him the ball, but given how – he initiates contact sometimes. He doesn't go out of bounds. He He's just a very physical player. He
1: also, it's like the grunk condition of he's so hard to tackle that players will give it their all. And yeah. they'll go low, they'll go high, do whatever they can. I remember the USC middle linebacker. I forget what his name was, but he was the Porter backup. Gustin? Uh, what?
0: Was it Porter Gustin or I was it the so. – the, it was uh, Yeah. whatever, yeah. I know um, you're talking about, yeah.
1: Yeah, he was playing in for – who was there? Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith was out. So that mid- the backup went helmet to helmet, just high, very clear targeting. It wasn't called. And he barely even moved Visca. And Visca just, like, you know, fell. He got tackled. But he didn't lose. He didn't even move backwards. And then the linebacker was out with a head injury the rest of the game. Yeah. I mean,
0: there's, like, when, when Visca gets tackled, there's, like, typically, like, two guys, like, draped on him. So, like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I do I I do have legit concerns about him staying healthy for a full season. You
1: can't give him 17 touches a game.
0: Yeah. They I mean they 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 force feed him the ball in the passing game. They line him up as a wildcat quarterback That's and make fun. I mean it's fun, but he takes a he takes a beating.
1: I'm okay with him as wildcat. I just would like to see him given less jet sweeps and screens. I would like to see him used more selectively in that, and maybe use him as a decoy more. Yeah. To get uh, KD and Tony Brown open.
0: It seems like it seemed like a couple times they telegraphed that they were going to Visca. I
1: mean, they telegraphed every play they were doing towards the end yeah, of the year. Yeah,
0: that's true. But like, there were some times when like Montez would just like stare over at him, like mm-hmm, right before, yeah. The, like yeah.
1: We saw a lot of regression from Montez in that respect. He looked so much better early in the year, looking through his progressions, going and being patient, not forcing anything. And then he got lock set dead on, Visca. Visca pretty much like every. And play. when he wasn't playing, he was lock set on KD.
0: Yeah, I know. It, it it was it was yeah. I'd like to see them get some more guys involved, especially because they have such a good receiving core. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Dimitri Stanley, Daniel Daniel Arias is a tall, fast receiver.
1: Shout out to Chase Howell for not thinking Dimitri Stanley should be on the field.
0: Uh, Le- <laughs> Levante <laughs> Chenault, Visca's brother, a four-star recruit. Is he coming? Uh, he was at the game I saw him at the game last night. I saw Visca at the game. I last saw night. him with a bunch of the players. Honestly, I'd be shocked if he didn't come to see you at this point. I think it's pretty much a given. I really hope he does. Yeah, it's it seems it's it, he it seemed like he was narrowed down between Illinois and CU and just judging Who by what, Illinois. Just well he had a really good relationship with their receivers Wait, coach.
1: Who's their head coach again? It's the L- Lovey Smith. Lovey Smith. Oh god. But
0: I, I mean, it seems like he's coming. He he wants to be around KD and his brother and mm-hmm. Josh. You know, there's a lot of DeSoto kids here, so it's kind of a home away from home. How do you home. feel about Jalen Jackson? Jalen Jackson, I think, is another good piece that I'd like to see get involved. Mm-hmm. He has a lot of really good abilities. Daniel
1: Arias too is huge.
0: Yeah, Arias, Jalen Jackson, Dimitri Stanley. I mean, they they're stacked at receiver right now. Yeah,
1: Tony Brown's there too. They were stacked last year. Probably more stacked last year, in my opinion. Yeah, because they had Juwan as well and McIntyre. McIntyre is so underrated. I love that guy. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, he's he's a good college receiver. I don't <laughs> I don't I don't see him going to the NFL, but I think he's a really no, He's not going to play in the NFL. Yeah, but he shouldn't
1: be playing football anymore anyway. He's had too many concussions. Yeah,
0: I think I think he's from what I've seen, I I don't I don't think he's doing a pro day here at Colorado. I think he's going yeah. he's going straight to coaching. Yeah, as he should. I I think he's going to be an assistant. I mean, at least what I'd guess right now, I think he's going to be an assistant at Ole Miss. Oh. From what... Fun. F- yeah. Under where A his... Graduate assistant? Yeah, graduate assistant. That that would be my guess at this point in time. But anyway, I want to finish off this episode with you telling us about your other football watching experiences against oh, Arizona. Yeah. And, you know, what... Oh, wh-
1: so at the point... So I watched the day games for sure. Every game you had during the day was on like... It was on 8 or 9 p.m. my time. So those were pretty easy to watch. I f- ended up finding pretty good streams. But... Towards the end of the year, after the Oregon State collapse. By the way, I watched the Oregon State game. What was that like emotionally? Uh, Well, around – I'm secretly a Beavers fan. That's like my second team. I've noted it before. That's why I always joke around with the Oregon State blogs because I love them so much, and they're so funny. But um, they're such a bad team, and I turned the game off Uh, with like 12 minutes left in the third quarter because I had some homework to do. And I really needed to get all my stuff done before the next day. I think I was traveling the next day to Tangier or whatever. But um, I looked back at the score with, like, four minutes left in the fourth quarter, and I was like, okay, here we go. And then I turned on the game. CU was – I don't even know how the collapse really happened. But, oof, there was no chance CU was going to win at that point. Even they were up, like, ten or seven points – they were never going to win. Right when Oregon State got the ball back with, like, a minute left, they were going to score, and there was nothing so you could do about it. It was, thank God, whoever was it blocked that extra point. It was Terrence Lang. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and then we have that iconic picture of Mike McIntyre having his fists up. 34-34, Oregon State, Colorado. It reminded me of the, the Frank Beamer's Virginia Tech game where it said f- <laughs> end of fourth quarter, 0-0 as the Virginia Tech coach, has his both fists up because Wake Forest had missed a field goal. And so that, to me, that's like the peak image of McIntyre's final two seasons. <laughs> <laughs> Blowing a lead to the worst team in Pac-12, probably the worst team in Power 5 football. Yeah, I think Shout so. Shout out to Rutgers. Yeah. Um, but it was just so bad, and there was no chance he was going to win that in overtime either. Um, you were there, right, for the for the – in the end zone.
0: Yeah, I, I, w- I watched that last, uh, last uh, part of the game unfold down on the field. So I, I really was able to capture the emotion of the players, you know, just mm-hmm. seeing everything that happened. And yeah, it, they were, everyone was just, you could feel the energy like get sucked out of the stadium, like when that happened. Mm-hmm. And like everyone was just completely disheartened. It was a bad scene.
1: Yeah, I've seen some, some awful, awful losses in my life. I had never even seen CU win a game in Boulder until two thousand fourteen when they played Nickel State. Really? And I had gone to countless games and I always grew up watching them lose. It was just brutal. But um
0: So did <laughs> that did that feel like deja vu to you, were you like, Wow, like here we go again like Well,
1: for me, when I see CU about to collapse, no matter what sport it is, when I see them have a third and seventeen in the fourth quarter, I don't ever doubt their ability to collapse. It's just it's I think it's a disease. <laughs> the, the young fans, I feel so bad for us because, I mean, woe is me. But we just, CU is a historical football school. They were dominant in the 90s. They were amazing in the early 2000s. But for those of us unfortunate enough to have grown up with the Hawkins and Embry era, we're kind of, that's what we learned, the CU football. We can see Joel Clatt and Chris Brown highlights, but <laughs> yeah, I the first quarterback I ever saw was Bernard Jackson. Wow! I don't I don't have any. <laughs> I was lost to begin with.
0: So it it w- was it like pretty much an emotional roller coaster just watching like those last few games against Arizona. I against stopped watching. You did really? Yeah,
1: I stopped waking up at four a.m. to watch games. I there wasn't any reason for me to watch it at some point and. I would just check the score. I checked the score the next morning after the Arizona game and I was like, Okay, yeah, we lost the high scoring game. I that's what, exactly what I thought would happen. And uh, maybe it's because I'm more of a basketball person than a football fan, but I I don't wanna
0: watch. You you knew you knew what was gonna happen against yeah. Washington State in Utah. Yeah. You you had you Yeah, you
1: I think I, I watched Washington State, but it was brutal. And sure. then I knew that they were never going to beat Cal. I didn't even watch that game.
0: Yeah, at th- at that point, I I, I told you earlier, I, c- I didn't think they could even beat a high school team from Longmont. Shout out to Sil- Silver Creek, who won a championship a few years back. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, st- I mean, shout I,
1: out to Mike Appadak, yeah, the former yeah, baseball coach. <laughs> yeah, I, I just
0: I just I just thought the team was just so out of it. There was a split divide in the locker room. They just seemed emotionally defeated. For lack of a better word, it was it was just a rough stretch for them. But yeah, that team gave up. Yeah, it, they did. They did give up in the end, and I, I think that there was a couple plays that, if you take a look at in the Cal game, where they they the team shot themselves in the foot. But I think that was the players kind of sending a message that they were unhappy with how the whole situation.
1: I think they similarly gave up last year. They were five and six, and I don't think they showed up
0: to, to play Utah. No, they didn't. They, they were done. Yeah. I mean the thing about the Cal game is theoretically there were times when they could have climbed back in, but it never felt like it was close. You <laughs> yeah, know, what? I
1: can't I, I don't I can't speak on that. I yeah. didn't watch the game.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I myself was on one, mm. was on a plane following it on Statcast. Spotty oh. statcast. But I you mean Wi Fi on the plane? Yeah, I, I bought Damn. I purchased Wi Fi but
1: I didn't even have that for my nine hour flight there and my eleven hour flight back.
0: Well I was on I was but on I had
1: Haruki Murakami, which
0: That author, he's better than wife. (laughs) I was on a domestic flight, granted. And yeah, I mean, I just, I I just, I I just never felt like they were going to win. But yeah, any parting thoughts, Sam, before we sign off for today? It was great having Uh, you on and not doing the podcast solo, having another contributor, (laughs) another another voice to bring some perspective to the situation.
1: Mm -hmm. I miss coffee in Morocco, (laughs) and it was like 80 cents for a dank-ass cup, and I miss that so much. It was like a cafe au lait, so strong. It was locally grown, sustainably grown, and so cheap, and I miss it. Huh. And I'm probably going to do grad school in North Africa, probably in Cairo next year. Interesting. And so this is probably my last year with Ralphie Report, unless it collapses upon itself and I have to start running things.
0: <laughs> don't don't say that, Sam. You gotta you gotta have. I know a lot of people. A lo- lot I of people. Take a, step back. a lot of people on the site probably think I'm a pessimist, so to speak. I mean, you
1: are, but
0: because well, because of you know some situations, I try to view in sports objectively. You know, I try to take my emotional support out of it and say, okay, this is what it's the situation
1: for you to not have emotional or emotion into your decision making with CU because I don't know. You didn't grow up a fan of it. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's mine and Jack Barst's issue.
0: But yeah, that that's true. But still, you know, when I'm an alumni, and you know, mm-hmm. if I'm not covering yeah. the school, then I'll then I'll be a fan. But you know, I grew up around in the New York sports media market, and even if you have an emotional stake in the team, I think that it's important to view situations as objectively as possible, and you know, yeah. that's that's kind of what I try to. That's I mean, I'm not pessimistic. I just kind of. View you know view the situation realistically.
1: Yeah, me and Jack Barsh were talking about it uh, earlier this week. Is that our pessimism comes from nihilism? That's because we don't know anything else from CU sports.
0: Yeah, that's true. And i I'm, I mean when I view situations, I just kind of I don't know. I seem negative, but I'm I'm trying to be realistic. Okay. You know what I mean? And yeah. and, and say I'm not I'm not a CU fan. I'm gonna look My at
1: optimism the- though can be amazing. Because I predicted in 2016 that they would be amazing and that they would be in the Pac-12 championship.
0: There you go. So I mean that that's that's exactly what that. I, what I, what I like to hear. I'm not a coffee drinker at all, believe mm-hmm. it or not. So and I don't. That would
1: change you if you went to Morocco or the North North Africa. No,
0: I I the, the, I, I stay away from caffeine products. Mm-hmm. So I'm not a, I'm not a caffeine guy, but. I'll save that conversation for another day. (laughs) Anyway, this has been the Ralphie Report Radio Podcast Edition with Sam Mativier. It's been great. Oh, you got it. I did get it. And we'll come back to you next week with another episode. Bye-bye.